0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox, The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. And thank you so much for spending time with this podcast. I got a really special guest today, I will admit that I had not read her work before. I, frankly, wasn't even familiar with her. But when I got hold of her book, The Heights, let me tell you something. Louise Candlish very quickly became a person of interest. No, I mean an author that you can say, oh my God, she's good. Well, yeah, she's a Sunday Times bestseller and she has 15 hits on her hand one of which is becoming a television series. So I thought, being the multimedia fan that I am, I got to talk to her. And this turned out to be one of my favorite episodes. Why? Well, she's brilliant. She's charming. She's funny. She's sweet. She's super creative. And we just kind of click. You know, you ever meet somebody and you just kind of click? That's how I felt with Louise Candlish. So, first of all, let me say... This is a book you may want to read. You really do. Second of all, how about you and I get into the thriller zone? Hello. Good morning. Or
1: Hi. After, Good afternoon. afternoon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you lovely?
1: Oh, thank you. Aren't you? <laughs> oh, thank you. Let's start as we mean to go on. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, I was sitting here having a cup of coffee and I thought, oh, I wonder if Louise is going to be having a cup of tea. And then I went, wait a minute, let me check my international clock. Oh, it's 4.30 her time.
1: Yeah, I should be having a nice cup of Earl Grey. I've actually got a glass of water because I've got um, a sore throat. And um, so I just need to make sure my voice doesn't get, you know, huskier and huskier as we go. Um, Otherwise, I would have a nice cup of tea, British style.
0: Is uh, Do you... And I've always wondered this: Is milk or cream always the thing of, with tea, or does anyone drink it plain? Black. Yeah, black. Yeah.
1: Um, well, we would never have cream. I think that's like something from *My Fair Lady* or something, maybe um, <laughs> in the nineteenth century. Um, but yeah, I have milk in tea. But um, you know, many people I know take it black or have lemon. Uh, but it is, I mean, you're right to us because it's a ritual and those details are important to us and so not yeah. to be taken lightly.
0: No, I know you take tea very seriously. So <laughs> I, you know, and I'm going to have to fight tooth and nail not to slide into some kind of an accent because I love your <laughs> accent. And I'm waiting to travel to London one day and have someone from London come up to me and go, Oh, I love your accent. I know. I will have then made it.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it will happen.
0: <laughs> she well,
1: said, but not, not... yeah, could. I mean, I guess um, we don't love American accents in the way that you seem to love our accent. But I think maybe that's because ours just has that kind of weird, um, you know, formality to it, whereas your so easy and um you know it's not so mimicable as a british accent so i just think our our accent gets so much more attention doesn't it
0: yeah i also find it interesting since we're just gabbing here before we actually officially start i find it interesting that uh, english can impersonate american accents better in my opinion than americans can impersonate english accents
1: um, British accents. Yeah, right? yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure there are actors who are fan- American actors who are fantastic at, at British accents. Yeah. Um, but I always assume that it sounds terrible to the native listener. Um, do you know what I mean? So you yes. may think that your fellow Americans' British accent is great, or or, and I might think vice versa. Probably. It's not ever a hundred percent, but I'm now racking my brains to try and think of because um, there have been times when you just think, well, what about Kate Winslet in yeah in um, *Marriage Town*? Um, oh, and yeah. how good was that
0: show? I by need to the think way. of
1: one on the other way around, though, don't I? I need to think of an amazing American doing a British accent. I can only think of Nicole Kidman.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, which is Australian?
1: She's, exactly, yeah. No. <laughs> It's a challenge. I'll try and think of one. But there will there will have been some excellent performances, I'm sure. Um, oh, I know. What about Meryl Streep as Margaret Thatcher?
0: Oh, okay. Yes. I, that.
1: Yeah, I'm pleased with that. She was brilliant.
0: Brilliant. I was just gonna say brilliant. Yes. Excellent pull. Okay, well, <laughs> Louise, What a handsome, by the way, handsome cover. I'm a big fan of covers. Um, We're going to get to the heights in just a second. Um, I will. I I think you you, you have one of the best cover blurbs on here. Louise Candlish is the queen of the sucker punch twist by Ruth Ware. Man. Mm,
1: That's such a good. Are we recording now, by the way? We are uh, (laughs)
0: reporting. By the way, inside scoop and I do this to everyone. I record from moment 1.
1: All right, okay, yeah.
0: To moment end, I have learned through the years that some of the best stuff just happens.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, in terms of that quote, oh, my God, Ruth must rue the day that she gave it because it's just been used and used and used. And, you know, lots of different markets will use it on their editions. And it is, you know, I I couldn't have paid a copywriter to come up with with a better quote. But also it can feel sometimes like, um, you know, I'm being hoist by my own petard to use that extremely old fashioned phrase in that you see that on the cover and you just, you're expecting a twist. You're looking out for the twist. You're, you know, it's all about the twist. Um, and sometimes, as I say to my marketing team, um, it would be really great if we didn't advertise the twist and then it really is a sucker punch surprise. Um, whereas if someone says to you at some point in this conversation, I'm gonna punch you, you know, you're slightly braced, aren't you? And that's very different from being in relaxed mode.
0: Right. It's interesting because uh, you you just brought up a really great point. Uh, when people walk up to you and they go, Louise, I'm gonna, I've am gonna, i got the funniest story in the world. Oh my God, this is so funny. Oh, you're gonna laugh, you're all oh, here. And they set it up and set it up and then they tell you the story and you're like, it's not really that funny. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, manage expectations, please. Um, But it is that sort of balancing act with publishing where, you know, you've got 100,000 books being published that week or whatever the, you know, ludicrous number is. And you've got to stand out. And, you know, author endorsements are really important. And, you know, sensational claims tend to make their way to covers. Um, But as the author... It's, you know, the dream would almost be for your, your books to be in little brown packages and no one knows what they're getting. And then they discover this story. They've never heard of the author. They've just completely absorbed in the story. And they say to their friend, I just read this great book called The Heights. And they don't know, they, you know, they didn't know anything about it when they went in and um, and they don't need to know what the author's famous for um or what the brand means or any of that stuff it would be really lovely if it was just about the the merits of the the contents wouldn't it
0: that's such a superb uh, notion and i i completely agree and it, it's so funny um when i meet people like yourself that make me stop and go wait that is such a good idea that I, I know I'll hang up later and I will make a note of this, and that is to always be aware of things. It's like when I read excellent writers like yourself that challenge me to go, wow, can I craft a better sentence? Can, <laughs> you know, can I can I can I be better than those are the people that really affect me? And this book kind of did this. this because and, and it's funny, I didn't, um, I read so many books, Louise, for this show that often I just, I kind of, because I get the, uh, the press blurb that goes along with it. And I often will go mm, real cursory because I don't want to know anything. Yeah. I want to just dive yeah. in and be surprised. Um, Anyway, all of that is yeah.
1: Just... No, I mean I agree with you, and um, I also get you know packages of books all the time with the press release, with the special letter from the editor or the author, and you know there's the blurb, and I and I don't read it. I want to I want to start the book and and learn what it's about myself. I don't sort of need to to you know to have that kind. You know all the all the main selling points signal to me, um, but I do appreciate it's hard. It is hard for for publicists and marketeers to to, you know, kind of shout loudest. Um, But, you know, the true reading experience should be a bit quieter and very personal and not really about what someone else thinks about that book, but what, you know, what you think about
0: it. Yeah, and and to belabor this point one step further, if if the marketing people didn't polish the jewel to its brightest significance, then in a world where our attention is so cluttered with so many things, you know, then we might not see it. Um, Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's a a good point. Yeah. (laughs) But being a Sunday Times bestseller as yourself, it probably, every day is just like a walk in the park and you're like, oh, you know.
1: That's so not true. (laughs) Because ultimately it's about, you know, wanting to carry on having a writing career and wanting to um, do something different the next time. And, you know, I'm really, it's really a a sort of point of honor for me to not repeat myself although I'm sure readers of all 15 of my novels will notice there's a you know a few overlaps in theme but I'm always trying something different structurally I've always got new ideas waiting and bubbling um, and waiting to be kind of woven into a story and so um so yeah I mean ultimately it's it's about the ideas and the creating something new each time I think you know sometimes I think it'll be great to have a period of complacency and um, resting on my laurels but um, you know, because I could then, you know, be really lazy, which I do quite enjoy, rather than this kind of, you know, crazy, you know, juggling of, of projects which I'm doing at the moment. But ultimately I just I couldn't bear to see messages on um from readers saying, oh, um, this isn't one of her best. Or um, I you know not as good as the last one and uh, you know inevitably readers have favorites but I just oh my god it just it chills me to imagine letting readers down when they've come you know a lot of them have come with me for 15 books
0: this begs so many questions uh, do you read your reviews
1: yeah yeah I do I have Google alerts um I don't I don't read every single you know Amazon review or Goodreads review but you know I would frankly have jumped off a bridge if I if I had. Um, but um, but I'll read the press reviews. And um, I do have a lot of interaction with readers on social media, which I absolutely love. Um, obviously, if someone's mean, then I, I try not to engage. So it's kind of cherry picking the, yeah. you know, the nice interaction. But you know, got to have got to have some perks. Um, so, um, so yeah, I do. I do. I don't I try not to. Um, I try not to be instructed by reviews because um, I really like to follow my own instinct about what I should be writing. And, you know, I've got a great editorial team and they know best, you know, over a reviewer who might you know, be in a bad mood that morning when they take on your work. Um, so I don't use them to, um, you know, to shape my future but I do enjoy reading them. And, you know, I absolutely believe in in constructive criticism. And I believe in, you know, unconstructive criticism as well. I believe, just believe in, you know, opinion and Free speech, and you know, it's interesting to hear what people say. But there, there's that that sort of um, psychological thing. I don't know what it's called, where you know you can you scan for problems um, and the negatives, and you you sort of literally do that when you go down the Amazon reviews or you know the Google search. You know, you can your brain is like completely overlooking the best book I've ever read lines and seeking the load of old piffle line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it seems so counterintuitive, but it is true. It's like, I want to see what the dumbass says really nasty yeah. about me. And what it's I, so true. Yeah. And what I despise are the people who get on there and go, I hated this piece of rubbish and here's why. Blah, 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 blah. And then they tell the entire story yeah. and they go, well, there's this one thing. But then they give you a star and a half or something. I'm yeah. like,
1: If you hated it that much,
0: why did you spend all that time on it?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think it's more personal than just not liking the book, don't you? I think there's there's some underlying issues there.
0: Oh, and call me nasty person, (laughs) but sometimes I want to hunt those people down and go, you know what? Well, I don't like your hair. There.
1: (laughs) I don't like your shoes. Yeah. (laughs) But I I don't tell the world.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a strange thing. I think it's a, you know, it's a kind of codependency we've created. Um, And it's interesting. I was talking to um, the one of my um, books is about to be on screen here. Um, our house and um, I just met up with a screenwriter yesterday and I said to him oh you're so lucky that screenwriters don't seem to have to kind of front their brand in the way that an author does because you know your work is marketed and promoted by household name actors and actresses and um you know all well-known directors um and so um you know it just it feels like sometimes i feel a bit sorry for myself as an author that we kind of there's only us um to sort of be the promotional figure um when actually it might not suit our personalities and generally writers i think are quite introspective you know have that sense of being an outsider um you know that's that's why we're doing the job we're doing um, and so to then be asked to be a kind of stand-up comedian with no media training is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit odd, it's a bit counterintuitive, but, you know, we're, we're giving it our best shot.
0: Well, it's clear a couple of things. First of all, you must have started writing right out of grade school by your youth and your... <laughs> Curve.
1: I think that's the screen, the zoom screens, um, flattening the years. Oh, if you, got got my, little, was, like, you got that
0: little, you got that setting no, off?
1: No, actually, I didn't, I, someone told me about the filters. I don't do the filters, but you know, we'll there the is filters. the nice afternoon light, but yeah, I started writing in my early thirties. What? Yeah. yeah early thirties. And I'm now in my early fifties. So it's been 20 years.
0: Well, life has <laughs> been very grand to you. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, you must be have you must be looking over my shoulder as my notes because I was going to congratulate you on your number one bestseller, Our House, which won the British Book Awards Crime and Thriller Book of the Year in 2019, and now is a this is the one that's going to be the four part series on ITV.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, written by Simon Ashdown. I should name check this um, anonymous screenwriter that I, I was just talking about. Um, yeah, he's done a fantastic job um, because those who um, have read it among your listeners. Um, your audience um, uh, will know it's a hugely complicated book um, with many meta strands and all kinds of stuff going on and multiple themes and at the heart of it, you know, quite a complicated fraud plot. Um, and so it was no mean feat to, um, you know, kind of deconstruct it, to simplify it um, and to you know, preserve the essence of it and all of the drama and suspense um while you know ridding it of the complexities that a novel reader can sit with a you know cup of coffee and and enjoy putting the puzzle together but you just can't do on screen so yeah they've done a fantastic job and i'm really excited to to see it air in a in a few weeks time
0: uh, will it it'll air internationally i'm assuming right
1: I think it will. Yeah, I don't have a date yet for um, US. So but I have no doubt it will be um, on screen there at some point, but perhaps not at exactly the same time as the UK. And
0: excuse my ignorance. ITV to you. ITV.
1: Yeah, yeah, ITV is like a a big network. uh, One of the main networks here, like, um, like BBC. So I guess it would be like ABC. No, do you have ABC? ABC, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
0: And uh, so it's going to be commercial television, not something streaming like Netflix or an Amazon.
1: That's right. Yeah. And ITV has its own hub. And I think um, often the ITV shows go on BritBox. Um, Yeah. So that may be where it um, lands. But I'll let everyone know as soon as I have information at the moment. I just don't have clarity on um, the different markets. Um, So I don't want to misinform you.
0: But do please gain clarity and remind me when it comes because my (laughs) wife and I love anything British television. We watch all of it. It's ridiculous. We find ourselves Going deep down the rabbit hole of okay, that was a great detective series, and then you know how they'll do that drop down. If you like this, you'll like this, and then we watch all of those, and if you like that, you'll like this, and we watch all of those. It's
1: oh, brilliant! And then there's often so many, aren't there, as well? And you can go back, and now we've got the prequels, and yeah, it's um, you could spend the rest of your life watching British detective shows.
0: (laughs) I love it. I'm trying to think of uh, one that we just finished oh my goodness I probably shouldn't waste time on it but it was a having to do it was a psychological thriller about this modern house oh it's
1: probably the girl before yes yeah on HBO brilliant oh my gosh I know the I know the producer yeah it's fabulous really good yeah
0: we were mesmerized and we thought at first oh it's going to be this and then it becomes this and at the end it's this and you're like Oh, that's so hard to do, Louise, to be able to yeah. tell the story. That... I, I,
1: you know, I think the author wrote the screenplay as well, actually. Wow. Um, oh, God, I hope I'm not not telling a lie. But um, but yeah, I, we watched that recently and it's fantastic, really good. And I think all the better for being, you know, just in the three parts. I think the short, short series um, are my preference in a way. Um, because, um, you know, you don't have to commit the eight hours or the 10 hours and you can conceivably watch it all in one night, um, with a bottle of wine. And it's just like a dream night in.
0: I like your thinking. Yes. The bottle of of wine is such a nice accoutrement.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. When it's, when it's getting too late for the, for the Earl Grey.
0: Yeah. And uh, okay, while while we're still on this, and yes, we're coming we're coming to the heights. Um, <laughs> I follow you on Twitter, and you were sharing a screen grab of a scene from ITV's Our House, and, and I love it. You said that you were going to faint, so for, <laughs> it was great. So for my listeners who don't fully understand perhaps the process of writing a book, then having, you know, Hollywood, we'll use the phrase Hollywood because it's a, yeah, uh, purchase the rights and turn it into a film or TV show. Can you kind of share that experience? Like what happens when you go, you finish this book, it gets really great reviews. And all of a sudden one day somebody shows up and says, hmm.
1: Well, it's all handled by your agent. So um, I have an amazing book to film agent um, who is you know, the top book to film agent in the UK and does deals, you know, sort of multiple deals a day. Um, and so he will um, get in touch and say, I've got all of these production companies who want to option the book. Um, let's, you know, let me tell you, you know, what they're suggesting. Some of them might already have a pitch, um, you know, a kind of artistic vision. Then you have a series of meetings, you'll choose who you want to work with. And then things go quiet for a bit. Um, and they might go quiet for a couple of years, actually, and in that time, the, um, the producer and the writer are putting together a treatment and maybe a pilot, a speculative pilot. Um, in the case of our house, um, I think the pilot might have been commissioned directly by ITV um, and then the full series on the back of that. Um, and um, that, yeah, so that could take a year or two years. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. We had our first meeting about our house, um, the TV show. In it was probably October 2018. Um, so yeah, two and a half years later, it's going on screen, and that's considered very smooth, very fast. Um, so yeah, and then once the the um, the, the script is written, um, and I will, I, I've seen it at that sort of stage, and there's multiple stakeholders giving notes. Um, they um, will then have a budget and um, start casting, start offering money to, to stars. Um, and so with our house, it was, you know, a big moment when Martin Compton got on board. Um, you probably know him from Line of Duty. Um, he's a mass, massive star here. But he's sort of gaining national treasure sort of status, really. very very. Um, likeable and hugely popular actor and you know also fantastically talented so to get him on board was you know a red letter day um, and and after that things things happened very very quickly um, you know it tumbled forwards compared to the sort of you know the slightly more elongated process earlier on suddenly there's you know casting going on all the time they're putting um, the set together they hunted for the house which is you know central to the um, to the whole book and to the TV show, um, and then they've got a, a shoot date, and then that that you know that took place I think over about twelve weeks, and then since then there's been um, post production and probably about a week in between the, you know, signing off the finished thing and it going on air. So it's kind kind of odd. It feels like nothing happens in the beginning and it all happens at the end. But I know that that is not true. I think it's just things happening behind the scenes and, you know, all of the relationships and um, the... You know the timing and scheduling issues that go into putting a project together have all got to be managed all those, those it sounds like a massively complicated negotiation and i'm quite pleased to have just been on the sidelines dipping in and out without having to bear any of the stress
0: yeah uh, mark grainy i don't know if you're familiar with the gray man series he was on the show a couple of weeks ago
1: oh okay yes i've heard the name yeah yeah
0: incredible writer sweetest guy ever from memphis and he uh, the reason i bring this up is i think the gray man that is going to be coming out uh, thanks to netflix uh, very soon i think he first sold that story in 09. so oh it was, my
1: goodness
0: yeah it was in and out or some somewhere around there in and out and yes yes we're going to do this and no and then oh we're going to pick it up and run with it so yeah it is a laborious process that um people are not aware that it takes so much time because it's it's purchasing, it's negotiating, yeah, and it's adaptation, yeah. yeah.
1: It is, and it's. I think timing is a huge factor, and it just makes you realize how incredibly tenacious the producers and the writers are in in pushing stuff forwards. Because um, so I think it must be heartbreaking to feel like it's about to start and then something breaks down in the you know hugely complicated chain. Um, So it does make publishing feel quite uncomplicated and that in itself is a form of alchemy. So, you know, I've been it's been a really interesting learning process for me Um, and particularly as more books are being adapted now, I feel like, you know, I've had such a great experience with our house. To, you know, to see just how incredibly hard people work and just how many of those people there are in the process.
0: Yeah. But in the end of the day, it's a dream come true, right? I yeah. Mean,
1: yeah. No, it really is. It, it's quite surreal, actually. Um, and, you know, I have to remind myself to, you know, celebrate and um, try and engage fully because it just feels it does feel quite surreal sometimes when you see, you know, sort of famous actors um speaking you know lines in the voice of your character Um, especially if you think of the very casual beginnings of of some of you know a novelist's project you might just be sitting on the sofa you know like reading the paper and you know have an idea and so it 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 is a very kind of grand end point to you know often a very quiet um birth
0: and it's so funny you bring up something i'm going to ask you later and that has to do with the fact that uh you know where ideas come from and yeah you're sitting there thinking to yourself you're at a coffee shop or a tea shop or whatever you're shopping you're at the lake and an idea comes on you oh this would be interesting and then uh if you are like me i'll sit on an idea for weeks sometimes months sometimes years and it will just sit there kind of like simmering on the back burner like a nice stew and then one day It'll all somehow go. It'll kind of start to fall together, and you'll sit down and you'll start writing. Before you know it, you're halfway through it, and then, then to your point, uh, you're living my dream. By the way, you wake <laughs> you wake up one day, you flip on the telly and all of a sudden,
1: <gasps> it's a trailer for that- yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. No, I think you've described um, you know the kind of the creative process really well, and that because that's exactly how it feels for me. I normally have three, four, five big themes or ideas or obsessions or inspirations in a novel and you know so some of them might have been sitting there for a couple of years waiting for their place um so um because you have to have a you have to have a a really credible plot line to kind of bring it all together and that's what takes the sort of um gestation I think um so with the heights for instance you know I had I'd been wanting to write a revenge story for a very long time, but I was just sort of waiting for the right form of revenge to take place. Um, you know, the 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 feud or the the um, incident that sparked it, um, and in in this case, it was um, I chose a feud between a kind of overprotective mum and the bad influence best friend of her teenage son. And you know, because as I said earlier, I'm always wanting to try and do take take on things from an original angle or at least from you know something that hasn't been discussed for a while Um, and I I couldn't remember seeing that particular relationship explored much and so um so I chose that and you know quickly realized it was golden um, because it really taps into a big fear of, of parents of teenagers which is you know you do everything you can to you know impress upon them how important it is to get the grades, you know, look after themselves, keep safe, um, you know, um, Have a, be loyal to the friends that, that really love you rather than the exciting rogues. Um, and then along comes someone who is just so much fun that, you know, they turn their heads and this is what happens in a big way leading to a, you know, a horrible tragedy. Um, so yeah, there was the the revenge strand, but I'd also for ages been fascinated by and horrified by the Chappaquiddick incident, which obviously oh, yeah. um, you will know far more about than than we do in the UK. Um, and so that had been on the back burner. And there's a you know you'll, when you read the book, um, you'll see that. Um, you know, that does have its um, influence on the plot. It's very hard, isn't it, to talk about without um, giving the game away. But the other thing that I must shout out is, um, and I didn't even realise it was an influence until I was about halfway through, um, is a movie called In the Bedroom, which I probably haven't seen for 15 years. Um, But as I was writing, I was thinking, oh my God, this is a bit like In the Bedroom. And um, should I, I'll very quickly just, you know, Check up on the, the plot of that so that I'm not aping it exactly, and luckily I wasn't. But um, some of the, um, you know, some of the emotion in that film, it's a, it's a film about grief and parents taking revenge um, after a, a tragedy. Um, you know, there's a direct parallel and, um, it, I, you know, it's a, it's a very unusual sort of niche um, area of, of thriller and crime, I think um, you know, the combination of a parent's grief and, um, and, and, crime.
0: Yeah. Well, you went on such a nice long tangent that, uh, it, and <laughs> you must and, edit that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm keeping it all. It's all juicy, but, um, I, I was, go- I had a couple of questions that I wanted to ask before I jumped into the Heights, but I'm going to keep going because we're in the Heights. And if we have time, cause we're about halfway through the show, then I'll, I'll come back to it. But a couple of quick okay. things that just uh, popped into my head. And I think of one of my favorite authors from the standpoint of what his talent is. And that's Stephen King. And he says that if you're not reading, you shouldn't be writing from the standpoint of good writers are good readers. And when I first heard that a few decades ago, I'm like, whatever, I got all the ideas right here. (laughs) And with time, I'm like, dude, you are so missing it. And he is so right on. And that is that... Like he, reading The Heights, for instance, and a couple of other books that I've got uh, in my TDR stack right now, uh, I find them going, ooh, ooh, that that perspective, that insight, that, that nuance challenges me on that book that I have sitting over here in the burner, you know, simmering away for the last two years. All of a sudden, oh that thing that she said or it led me down the path i'm not taking your idea but you triggered something in my mind went oh i hadn't thought of that way and then i go back and i i pick up that story and i keep going that's one thing
1: no great great point i i i know exactly what you're saying i think the um we're all writing a new interpretation on a story that's been told before um and you know authors discuss this all the time it's like oh my god you know can i do a um, all about Eve plot or can I do, um, can I do, I, the, the other passenger, my, uh, my last novel was influenced by double indemnity and you know how many double crossing plots can an industry take but I think that readers have an appetite for the classic stories but you know in, in new settings, new contexts, New interpretations, twisted, a little bit darker, the characters, you know, representing different generations and different groups. And, you know, it's there's an endless supply.
0: You know, and you uh, uh, another great idea is that uh, I was reading this article recently. They were talking about, oh, this particular author was talking about. No, I'd like to come up with something fresh and original each time. And I'm like, first of all, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. And then the, uh, the article went on to say the thing that, uh, most readers like is the familiarity. They like the fact that when they pick up a thriller, they know it's a thriller and yes, it's revenge. And yes, it's a double indemnity crossing. Yes, it's seduction, but that's what we're coming for. And all they're really doing is going, how will Louise flavor my, uh, uh, this particular theme for me? And, and Yeah. yeah, yeah, we want that. Yeah.
1: Yeah no absolutely and you know when i say i'm striving to be original i mean to do something you know something that i haven't read recently and something different from what i've written before but everything we all write is going to have you know the shadows of past work and you know sometimes it's quite deliberate i've i've a number of my novels have been overtly influenced by previous works um, and, you know, I think that's absolutely fine. You, you must acknowledge it though. That's the key. Sure. You, you know, you mustn't pretend that you came up with Lolita, um, because <laughs> you might get found out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh... When I first saw the title, The Heights, I thought it was Heights is an, oh, it's a story about mountains or uh, uh, heights, of but it's a double entendre. So Heights being, I'm afraid of Heights. Ellen, the the narrator of the story is has a fear of Heights, which I'm going to drill down in here a second, but it's also an area of town called The Heights. But what I did not know about, and I actually, I don't have this, but I think I have a, Maybe I have an understanding of it. I did not know that high place phenomenon was a thing until I read it from you. And that is basically like I have this tendency. I will walk. I'm not particularly afraid of heights, but I'll go to a height. And there's, there's something in my brain that goes, maybe you should jump. I mean, literally out of nowhere. And you're like, wait, what the? That's f-? it. I don't want to jump. No, well, could be something you want to do. You've
1: you you've just described it. It's it's quite a niche condition. It's not a sort of full blown phobia, um, and there's you know there's very little clinical you know sort of discussion of it. Um, and you know I probably read all of it when I was when I was researching it. But you know I've got it myself exactly like you. It's that impulse yeah. to to step over a ledge or to you know throw yourself off a balcony. Um, or just to, you know, even on a bridge, yeah. I might get the impulse to kind of throw my bag off the bridge. So what it is, is um it's not suicidal. There's we're not depressed. Uh-uh. It just means that it's an intrusive thought. Some people get it um, you know, when they're driving on a motorway. Mm. Um what, what do you call them? Free do you call them freeways? Freeways. Like a fast yeah. road. And mm. you, you might get the kind of um the urge to, you know, kind of ram the steering wheel into the central reservation and, you know, kill everyone in the car. I mean, that's obviously a, you know, lunatic idea. You're never going to do it. It's um, but it's an intrusive. It's a form of intrusive thought. And I've had it all my life. And um, I I don't know whether it's genetic or whether you learn it. Certainly, my daughter seems to have it. And I fear I've given it to her, you know, either literally and chemically or just, you know, by my 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 crazy influence. But um, when um, in discussing the book, I have found that about one in 10 people seem to have it.
0: Wow, okay. That's, so, a very
1: in, that's a very informal okay. psychological study.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm not gonna call you uh, Dr. Cantlash. No.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: it is odd though. I, I wanna spend just 10 more seconds on this is because I had, it is such an unusual, I've never told anyone this ever, not my wife, no, I've never, until right this moment that I oh actually, my God. never, because when I saw the words in one of your uh, press things, And I thought, uh, oh, I, I think that way. And again, it's, you don't it's not like, oh my God, I gotta just end my life. It's not that and (laughs) it's not like, Hey, what would it feel like to splat on the concrete? It's not that it's just that this funny little pull that you're like, well, maybe I should.
1: Yeah. It's a self-destructive impulse basically. And the French call it, um, l'appel du vide, call of the void. Um, which is a, a quite a good way of describing it, isn't it, in terms of how you feel? It's like it's almost like you're being seduced
0: by yes. the
1: empty space. Yes. Um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing so it doesn't feel like anxiety. It doesn't feel like even agitation. It's no. quite um, it's quite Zen, mm. which makes it all the scarier, actually.
0: Kind of like some of my old relationships. yeah um, <laughs> Scary. tempting me to come into the void completely wrong for me all those things not daring
1: confide in anyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank god i met my wife anyway um more about the heights Uh, a couple things i want to say that i that i was so intrigued that i so enjoyed it was the way it was told from two spots perspectives and I'm sorry I'm starting to see this maybe a little bit more now maybe I'm just becoming a bigger reader but and I love it because it's uh it's Ellen and it's Vic so it's that the second thing is there's three things that's first number two is uh (laughs) the story within a story I love that idea and then the twist that you don't see coming speak amongst yourselves (laughs)
1: <laughs> um yes the the story within a story is something another one of those elements or obsessions that I've had for a while and i have you know waiting for the opportunity to try that out um and it, it does tend to complicate things a little bit but just to explain Ellen the narrator is actually telling her story through a crime memoir um she's in a kind of um crime-themed writer's workshop. That's where we meet her at the start of the book. And it becomes clear that she's so talented that her her memoir, above all others, is going to be published. Um, And then you also have a little bit of commentary from a journalist who is interviewing her for the Sunday Times. Um, on publication of this book um, so I I began on that basis that I wanted it to be written as a crime memoir but you mentioned that you know there is another narrator there is Vic who is her is Ellen's estranged partner and I didn't mess um, it up
0: did
1: I no 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 and okay. he's the father of, of Lucas um, and um, when I was initially planning it I I just imagined I could do the whole thing as Ellen's memoir and it and this is that this is a great lesson, actually, you know, I've written 15 novels and I'm still making huge mistakes each time and learning as I go along. And what I learned as I went along was, hang on a minute, if we've only got Ellen's point of view, how is the reader going to know if what she's saying is true or not? Or if there just might be you know some um, some other little details that might have been omitted, you know it might be you know basically true. But we do need someone else's point of view here. And so Vic came along quite late in the process. And then the moment I started writing him, he became my favourite character. And, um, you know, I felt a little bit sort of disloyal to Ellen in a way because he was so much more entertaining. He's not neurotic as she is. He's, you know, he certainly is, you know, cooler and more easygoing and appears to be more rational as well. And so they're both set up. And just as you're, you know, Know, lulled into vic's very easy way of explaining what's happened you're back in ellen's head and so it turned out to be um you know such an such a a brilliant thing to introduce Vic Um, but you know this being me wanting to complicate things I do have this journalist's voice as well who by the way I voiced in the audiobook Um, she's a sarcastic journalist so I was brought in as a natural choice to do these few passages that she writes but she's a little bit skeptical of Ellen I think she's you know she's not quite as seduced by Ellen as some of the men in her life have been Um, and so you know both both the journalist and Vic were able to counter some of Ellen's interpretation of events. Um, and then at the end, um, it's all tied together. Um, and hopefully, um, everyone's quite clear about what happened. We'll soon find out.
0: <laughs> it's it's very clear. And it's, it's a, it's such a satisfying ending. It's so, it's so satisfying because it isn't, it isn't cliche and it isn't a perfect bow and, um, but it's satisfying. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, we can stay with this story, but there's there's a couple things that are just knocking on my mind's door that I would love to ask you. And that's, what, what's the one thing that you, about having a successful writing career that, that maybe you had not expected, or perhaps no one had told you about?
1: Um, I think it's evolved because I've been writing for quite a long time. I started, I was first published in 2004, um, but had got my, the deal a couple of years before that. And so, you know, I've kind of been in the industry now for almost 20 years. It's evolved so much that, um, So my answer to that question probably would have changed every five years. At the moment, I would say the thing that you're not expecting for any writers out there who are about to to send off their first submission is um, quite how much else there is to the job besides writing. So when I began writing, I... um, Ninety-nine percent of my job was writing, but here we are, twenty years later, and I'd say I'm very lucky. In the course of a year, if I've even spent fifty percent of my time writing, um, because there is so much else to do. Um, you know, as we were discussing earlier, there's you know this um, this trend now for authors to kind of front their own brand and sure. lead the marketing. So you know, in the old days, if there was an announcement to be made. The marketing team, the publisher would announce it. Um, Now the author is announcing everything online, and you know that's just the way things are done. And it's across the board in entertainment; it's not just uh, books. It's obviously music, and you know we're all directly um, now um, engaging with the audience. There's no way I could have predicted that when I, you know, started writing full time. I genuinely thought I was going to be, you know, just sitting with my cat um like Miss Marple or something you know kind of in a secret world I never imagined there would be this public persona that was required um and um and much as I enjoy it I think that it is um a sacrifice in a way because if you think you know you've got if you've got someone whose whose expertise is in writing stories and they're only really able to do that for fifty percent of the time. You're depriving the world of that, per, you know, fifty percent of their output. They could they could do twice as many books if that's all they did. Um, so so I think that's that's the biggest surprise. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the, the, there are surprises all the time sure. and they are not, they're usually excellent ones. It's just, you know, it's a lovely process, you know, to open your emails and to see good news and new markets opening up for you and lovely comments from people around the world. Um, you know, it's, it's far more rewarding and joyful than I imagined as well. I kind of, you know, had that idea of the bitter and twisted also ran which i have experienced i've I've had i've I've enjoyed both both experiences that it's never going to happen to me and it's not fair and oh things are happening and this is you know way more fun than i even dreamt
0: yeah well i think it's so fascinating that uh you know uh, the the days of oh i'm going to sit in my library and write that famous book and it's going to take me two or three years and then it'll be released and everyone will do it for me I have more and more people on this show that they all say that is so yesterday. And if you're not, uh, you know, so to the point of writing, you know, a book or two books a year and now, now part of the machine is, well, you might need to be doing two or three books a year and maybe even four books a year. And if you're doing back to your point, only 50% of the time, then how yeah. can you possibly fit it all in?
1: yeah but i think um, i think that even people outside of the hallowed entertainment industry will agree that we all feel like we're doing a lot more now for less gain you know so much is is required of people and i think you know the work from home um, experience during lockdown you know began by being seen as a kind of very lazy way to do your business where you know you were in fact picking up the kids and pretending you were in a meeting and almost like a Ferris Bueller's day off right um, you know where you've got the you know the pillows under the duvet but That's actually good... what it's turned out to be is people working all the time oh, and yeah. not having any separation between working life and private life and you know it's 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 a sort of logical extension of of you know the internet and email and the you know I mean we I'm sure you like me remember a time when if you went on holiday you said goodbye to your colleagues at five o'clock on the Friday and no one knew where you were for two weeks you didn't even leave and you didn't may not even have told them which country you were going to you they certainly wouldn't have been you know getting in touch with you first thing on Monday morning to ask your advice about something and so um, you know we've it's a while since we've we've had that freedom um and that privacy um so yeah i can't even remember how we got onto that but no that's that's perfectly
0: right uh it's the um you know, now everything, now everybody assumes that you will do everything and, yeah. um, Hey, since you can do it from home and while well, you're already there and you're kind of relaxed, could you also do your marketing here and do this social media yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's not,
1: it's not the case that you're, because you're doing it, your team are not doing it. They are doing three times as much work than they used to do as well. Yeah. Um, somehow we've just created so much work. Um, It's, um, you know, so many, an infinite number of ways of trying to get something to market and tell people about it means that there's an infinite amount of um, tasks to fill your day. So if you want to not sleep, you could spend 24 hours a day online sharing, you know, news and opinion.
0: Yeah. And, and let's take 10 seconds on the social media thing. There is a point where do you find yourself going, oh, geez, if I don't turn this social machine off, a- at least for just a little bit, uh, I- I'm going to be uh, I'm going to lose my eyesight for one thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my- no,
1: absolutely. I feel like I'm mentally ill. I feel <laughs> like um, I, I now can't believe I'm producing novels Um, because I just can't concentrate for the, you know, the lengths I used to be able to sit down for hours and hours and not look up. Um, And now I'd be lucky if I do 15 minutes without needing to see if a really important, you know, tweet has been shared. Oh, my God. So what I do, though, is I have got this new thing, which um, I recommend, which is if I leave the house, I don't take my phone with me.
0: Wait a second. I got (laughs) to hold on. I I got (laughs) to. I need to sit down a second.
1: <laughs> <sighs> so it's like mini, mini digital detoxes. So, um, you know, i walk the dog every day mm-hmm. and I don't take my phone with me. So I know I've got a guaranteed hour where I'm not thinking about my phone. Because wow. um, let's face it, it's not the Internet. It's the smartphones that have,
0: yes, yes, you know, yes.
1: have ended our sanity as we knew it. Um, so, yeah, that's my top tip.
0: Well, Don't take your phone. <laughs> how are you going to listen to my audiobook that I'm going to sing?
1: Well, this is then the problem, isn't it? That yeah. everything is in the phone. So you've got to, is there a way of listening to it through like FM or, you know, through your car radio or old style, or do you have to have a device to listen to your podcast?
0: Uh, you... Oh, well, if you've got a smart car, you can listen to it on your yeah. car, you know. Yeah. If a, but your phone usually goes in the car to tell the car to listen to. Yeah. You know.
1: This is the problem. It's certain mm-hmm. elements I want rid of, but I don't want rid of all of the elements, mm. you know, because your music might be on your phone. And, um, you know your banking you might need you might need some, you might need your phone also your cameras on your phone i think well, this is the, this is the great evil of the whole thing is that listen, everything is in one device isn't it
0: and it's all on purpose young lady i mean come on think about it. the guys who no. created <laughs> the guys who created this are completely aware that this is the biggest addiction since uh, oh yeah
1: yeah fill yeah, in the no, blank absolutely they are monsters they are monsters they are you know as it's often said, they are the escobars of our age.
0: It's true. And think about it. You, uh, I've, I've heard people go, oh, my God, I went to leave the house and I had to try and go back because I didn't have my phone. But when you, to your point, if you if you're doing your banking and listening to your music and your podcast and, and taking your photographs, I mean, there, 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 there will be a day, you know, there will be a day where this will be implanted on us somewhere. So we won't yeah. have to worry about a physical piece of property.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all right. because the sheer anxiety of losing it is you know another cross to bear isn't it
0: remember the days when you'd like oh, well you can't change your number because all my friends know the number then you go to ask years later what's louise's yeah. number i have no idea i just push yeah. boom i push the f- photograph of yeah. her and it dials it yeah.
1: i remember when we used to memorize numbers
0: stop what yeah.
1: <laughs> not having a head for figures i was only ever to hold about 10 at any given time but some people used to know you know like dozens and dozens of numbers just off the top of their head
0: i used to know all the numbers i mean that, that yeah oh god I, I, if i knew 30 people i knew all their numbers the wow. thing is it's made us lazier it's yeah. that's that's what it's done is it has just made us Flippin' lazy. Yeah. Well. Whoa, whoa.
1: Yeah. Infantilized. I, yes. I feel infantilized. Oh, I feel like I've got no agency. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you make everything sound so brilliant. <laughs> All right, before we roll on to rapid fire questions, because I know I've only got so much time with you, I do want to ask this and you've kind of hinted at it, but I really, this is one of my favorite things about asking authors, especially such prolific ones as yourself, to give insights to, let's face it, I'm merely asking for me, but I have listeners who are (laughs) also want to be writers, but we want to know what's your best piece of advice?
1: Um, I think if you're wanting to sell your work and, you know, get an agent and get a publisher and be a commercial writer, as opposed to just writing for your own pleasure, then um, you really need to have the most incredible hook to your story. You must have that concept, that kind of strong crime or strong dilemma at the heart of, of the story that can lead the sales pitch um, I think if if you're struggling to explain to your mom or your best friend or your husband or your wife um, what the book's about, then you know that's not a great sign. So I don't even start now until I can um, crystallize my idea and sell it in a copy line. Um, I actually used to work as a copywriter, so um, you know I, I find that fun. Um, but it's a very good exercise for everyone. To imagine um, your book is already in the hands of a publishing team, and someone is writing the blurb on the back of the book, or you know, the inside flap. You know, how would that read? What's the what's the crystallized essence of the story? And you know, is it intriguing enough sounding? So I think it's 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 really that don't don't start properly until you until you're absolutely confident of your central hook.
0: And. That was brilliant, by the way. I do have a, so that I can break it down one extra step, and I totally get it. And, and let me see. Let, let's bounce this off. Let's let's uh, you know workshop this a second. If I were to pitch you, Louise, I have this great idea. It's about a cop who is investigating a murder in Hollywood, and uh, things go awry. Okay, right there, you're going to go.
1: <sighs> hmm.
0: Excuse me. Right? Where's my phone? Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking the phone and I'm walking birdie. Yeah. Um, but let's turn that around so that, uh, in this workshopping environment so that you could say, okay, David, idiot. How about we flip this around a little bit and pretending that you would actually know what my story is about? You would. How would you do that differently? That would. That would go. Okay. Now you're on to something.
1: Well, I think I mean that's obviously a classic crime story, isn't it? So you need to either um, bring a twist in the way it's narrated or structured, or a twist in the the narrator themselves. So you know, maybe you're telling the story from you know the um, the point of view of a family member of that cop, or the victim, or someone unconnected but somehow randomly involved. Um, I think you just need to bring a new agenda to that old story, um, to you know to kind of refresh it.
0: Perfect. Okay, and that makes total sense. I got it. All right. I do have two super quick questions before we do wrap up our questions. Um, I was going to ask the breed of your dog, Birdie, uh, as you call him, Foxy Gentleman. Love that. But just this morning, I learned he's a lab.
1: He is a lab. Yeah, he's a a fox red lab. And they are technically blonde labs. And in the old days, the dark ones, the ginger ones, were um, drowned. You know, they were culled because they weren't popular but now they're very popular, which is great. So they are all over the place and he's lovely and he's called Bertie and he's actually called Bertie Worcester named after the the Woodhouse character.
0: Of course, I have never (laughs) seen a Fox red lab. I've never seen a Fox red lab.
1: Oh, you must have them in the US.
0: I'm going to challenge my yeah, listeners to yeah. send me photographs cuz I Yeah, let's fr-
1: see what they say.
0: I was so in I love dogs. My dog's a a, a a called a Carolina dog, which is a North American dingo ancestry, so
1: Oh wow. Ooh, also Fox he or she colored. looks very very cool.
0: He looks very cool. He's got that fox face and a big whipped tail that stands up and uh, just oh brilliant oh,
1: how wonderful
0: yeah oh, you... dogs
1: are a writer's best friend they oh. really are they get you out they're your kind of you know uncritical team member
0: <laughs> he is um he must have heard me talking about it because he is just he walked there? in here. Oh, yeah and if he actually
1: banned Bertie from coming in <laughs> um he does sometimes sit there but for for something of this length he will be asking me to get up and and let him outside. So
0: yeah
1: I put the baby gate up
0: Well, he's absolutely beautiful. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask, and you mentioned it already, and I love this, is the fact that, uh, again, during my Instagram stalking moments, (laughs) I saw that you're one of the narrators of The Heights. And I wanted to say, what was that experience like? And have you done other audiobooks?
1: It was great fun and um, I had done, um, I'd previously written um, a little novella called The Skylight for a literacy campaign here um, run by the Reading Agency and it's a campaign called Quick Reads. So you get best-selling authors um, and they do a shorter novel and it's written in a, um, you know, slightly simplified syntax but the plots are, you know, juicy, like a full length, um, full length novel there. It's for um, adults struggling with literacy as opposed to kids. So you can be quite adult in your themes. And I was asked to, to do the audiobook of that because it's a charity thing. And, you know, we didn't really have any budget for an actor. So, you know, I agreed, but, you know, thinking that, you know, I would probably hate it. And, um, you know, but it was a, you know, a good deed. But no no sooner had I started than I was just loving it and fantasizing about having a new career as an audio narrator. It was ridiculous. It was, you know, very, very, you know, one to 100 miles an hour in terms of confidence from this kind of, you know, meek and mild, oh, I don't think I'm going to be very good to I'm owning this. (laughs) Um, It happened very quickly. And so I, I secretly hoped I might be asked back for another gig. Um, And so when the role of the Saki journalist came up um, and I was asked to do it, I was, you know, I was there (laughs) the day before.
0: So we can find we can listen to you where?
1: Um, I guess it will when the when the book comes out on the 1st of March in all its formats, the audio book should be among those formats. So wherever you get your audio books from Audible or wherever. Um, you'll be able to get it and I I, when you hear the Sunday Times um, newspaper extracts being read that's me
0: oh that's so exciting well then you probably recognize (laughs) this don't you this is oh yeah
1: yeah. oh is it oh okay yeah Yeah. I just had to go to a studio in Soho um, and put on some big headphones sit on my own Um, yeah no it was exciting I felt really I felt like a professional actor
0: oh and you are (laughs) You thought that I'll was a I'll tell you, I'll tell you the it. big
1: difference, no. though. I know I, I was trying not to speculate as to what that could be. But um, yeah, I, th- I think the big difference between a professional, well, this is ridiculously simplified, but one difference between me and a professional is that I was reading much more quickly than a mm. pro would. Yeah. yeah. So you'll, you'll probably spot that. It's fine. <laughs> Wh-
0: whatever gets it done, right? Okay, it is time for rapid fire questions, which is oh my f- god, which is funny in and of itself because it's not really rapid fire. There's no rapid; it's, <laughs> it's very moderately paced, almost okay. sluggish.
1: <laughs> I like the sound of sluggish fire. Gives me time to dodge. <laughs>
0: all right, well, all right. So the first one is is fast, but the, they get slower from there. Pen or paper? A uh, pen and paper or keyboard? Keyboard. Music or silence?
1: um silence or music without lyrics
0: copy that uh and we've referenced this earlier and you can make it short you don't have to belabor it but what's the where do the majority of your best ideas come from
1: i think they come from reading media
0: (laughs) yeah it it practically writes itself doesn't it
1: yeah (laughs) it's limitless
0: i don't know if you're familiar with meg gardner she's a dear friend and a great writer And she does this crazy, kooky crime of the day. And you could take any one of those stories that are just absolutely insanely hilarious and they're all just idiots uh, (laughs) on Twitter and just make a story out of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the problem is, you know, I think in the olden days, writers had problems with ideas. You know, someone like Joseph Conrad, for instance, famously just couldn't get any ideas. But now we've got too many. We've got too many to choose from.
0: Right. All right, you're given the opportunity, this is number three, you're given the opportunity to play a lead role in the upcoming television series, The Heights. Who will you play and why did you choose that role?
1: I will play, not Ellen, because that would be too draining an experience, and I'll leave that for Kate Blanchett or somewhere like that. <laughs> um, I will play Sheridan, who's the sort of slightly desperate friend um, who, though she doesn't experience a tragedy, like her friend Ellen, she is still struggling with midlife and, you know, the sort of high seas of um, growing older and having your your family leave and, um, you know, finding a purpose. So I would play her. She's just
0: a small role. I would love to see that happen. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, She's another
1: who likes a bottle of wine of an evening, actually.
0: (laughs) And Louise, who doesn't? Okay. Who doesn't? (laughs) <laughs> I had one last night. Um it <clears throat> for question number four. And I think I already know uh, one of these two answers. What is the one electronic and the one beverage that you can't live without?
1: Um, it would have to be my phone, even though I'm loath to say that, but only because I feel tricked into being in that position,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: because I've actively chosen it. Um, and the drink would be coffee. Even above alcohol, I would have to choose coffee because I think I am actually addicted to caffeine, whereas I don't think I'm addicted to
0: alcohol. So, coffee, alcohol, tea is that the hierarchy?
1: Yeah, no, I'm not such a big tea drinker actually. I'm more of a, I might have one cup of tea a day okay. or, you know, one every couple of days, mm-hmm. but coffee I will not be able to function without two or three in the morning.
0: I have just my wife and I got this new machine called uh, I think they pronounce it Miele or Mila.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, a great brand. Yeah.
0: Girlfriend, let me tell you something. <laughs> we dropped the dime on it, but my coffee consumption has gone through the roof. <laughs>
1: how many are you drinking a day then you have to be careful
0: well we used to have a standard mr coffee pot and she and i would go through a half a pot for breakfast you know that's about three maybe four cups a piece or you know a small pot yeah now with this thing i'm doing uh i do four while i'm doing my morning reading at five o'clock
1: right and then i have
0: a two maybe two more with my midday snack and then another one in the afternoon or two and then maybe one after dinner at night so i'm clocking four or five maybe how ha- are
1: you even sleeping i wouldn't be able to sleep for a minute with that amount of caffeine i've reached the point and it could be my age but i've reached the point where i can't really have coffee after about 3 p.m
0: she's or the i sa- won't sleep yeah tammy's the same way i can drink a double espresso and go right to bed Yeah,
1: that's amazing you're so lucky my daughter's like that
0: i don't know that's
1: like a dorian gray gift of youth Mm. that you've got going there i'd love that
0: well it is quite nice because i (laughs) love like i'm with you though i'd be my phone and and coffee i couldn't yeah uh, i I love craft beer and i love a great glass of wine and i'm a nut for a nice gin and tonic but you take away my coffee and we're going to have words.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, we really have to pare down what our, what our, you know, kind of true needs are.
0: Yeah. All right, last one before I go. My wife and I have invited you to our beautiful home for a cocktail party to celebrate the release of your next novel, Yet As Named. Shh. We ask that the only thing you bring are two people, they can be living or dead, with whom you think would make for a delightful conversation. P.S. They may be people you've always dreamt of meeting. So you get to bring two people to our party.
1: Who? Wow. Um, Okay. I would probably bring Frank Sinatra, Um, even though there's a risk that, you know, things could kick off. Um, <laughs> I would still bring him because he'd be great fun. And he might also croon for us mm. if we got the karaoke machine out. God, so I love he would style. be my number one. And then I would also bring um, more as my bestie, who I would want to talk to all night, Roger Federer, so I could quiz him about his genius and his career because I am a huge tennis fan and he's one of my lifelong heroes. Mm. And so if ever I'm asked a question like this, he's my choice because i'll take any opportunity i was recently asked whose um, memoir would you like to ghost (laughs) (laughs) he's my answer i can bring him into almost to answer almost any question
0: (laughs) you that that was such a delightful answer and no one has ever said frank sinatra and he is it can't get much better than that no
1: why doesn't everyone choose frank
0: yeah between the stories the vegas stories (laughs) the the Rat Pack, the, uh, oh, and that voice. Forget- yeah. Oh, okay. it would
1: be amazing. It would be amazing to spend an evening with him.
0: Speaking of amazing, this has been amazing and brilliant. I've really
1: enjoyed it. It's, I've really laughed.
0: I think I could talk to you for hours. Don't you get that kind of feeling? Yeah. definitely
1: yeah definitely i hope we can meet in real life at some point (sighs) when um travel opens up and you know i can tour or something it'd be great
0: will you be at thriller fest this year by any chance No,
1: no, I don't have any plans to come to the US this year. Mm. Um, But you know, I'm always open to invitations. So let's see. Let's see what happens. I would like I've never been to Thriller Fest. And I'd love to I'd love to go at least once.
0: It's brilliant. I went uh, in 2019. uh, Then of course, we missed 20 um the it, it is something that you will cherish for the rest of your life because you get to hang out with all your favorite writers and you learn so much and you get to hear their secrets and uh, oh
1: how brilliant highly oh i love recommend that it. yeah, yeah I'll, I'll definitely do that that will be on my bucket list
0: matter of fact when is it coming <laughs> up it's uh, the, it's, it's um, july isn't it usually it, no it's actually going to be the end of um i've already made my own little calendar because i'm going to be there Will you bear with me? One? Yeah, here it is. Okay. Of course. May 31st to June the 4th.
1: Oh, wow. Brilliant. Oh, that's quite like soon.
0: I would be happy Yeah, maybe to. next
1: year then. Maybe next okay. year I'll badger my publisher and get them to, to okay. invite me.
0: Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more about this lovely, lovely lady, go to louisecandlish.com. All of this will be here on the screen. I follow on Twitter at Louise underscore Candlish and stalk her on Instagram like I do. <laughs> at Louise Candlish, <laughs> you you need to follow me back, Louise, because we can share some stories.
1: Am I not following you? I'm so sorry. Okay, is it is it your name? Well, that I'm you can for? you yeah, can or do, is it the name of the podcast?
0: You can do the Thriller Zone, or okay. you can do me at David Temple, author.
1: Okay, I'll do both.
0: You're the only person that's ever asked me that, so thank you very much for that. Oh, yeah.
1: I will. That's the first thing I'll do. I'll go and get the evil phone, and I'll follow you. Good, because we'll be sharing
0: emails and all that stuff. And
1: uh, brilliant. I would love. Yeah, just let me know how I can help with, um, you know, sharing when the when the podcast's up. Do you have a date, by the way? Do you know when when this one's coming out?
0: Yes, I do. You actually are kicking off the month of March.
1: Oh, perfect! That's such great timing. Yeah, I have you.
0: I will have to admit that I had you listed for February, but I thought, wait a minute, her publication is March the...
1: March 1. Yeah, Yeah. March
0: 1. So I'm going to miss it by two days. However, the heat will be beautiful two days after because you're going to be completely swamped on the first and then it'll air on the third.
1: Great. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. This has been delightful.
1: It's been great.
0: See, I told you. I told you. Louise Candlish. Good, huh? The book, The Heights. You ever read a book where you go, yeah, this is good. And then you, as you continue to read it, you go, uh, no, this is really good. Then you find yourself going, especially if you're a writer like myself, you're like, this guy makes me want to be better. This guy has a debut novel called Every Hidden Thing. And Ted Flanagan, let me just tell you something. This guy is mad talented. Again, I had not heard about him, but he is so interesting. He's a paramedic and a former daily newspaper reporter from Central Mass. And he has a hit on his hands. He is next week's bonus guest. That's right. Uh, That means Monday. And this book, I don't know what it is. Style? Yeah. Quality? Oh, yeah. You'd say to yourself, oh, this is like number 10 or 12. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me on the Thriller Zone on this episode. And could I ask you a little favor? Just a teeny tiny, teeny tiny little favor. Would you swing by thethrillerzone.com and do me a favor and just leave a review? Tell me how you like the show. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you think it sucks? Do you think it's fabulous? Tell me either way. And on the YouTube channel, which is David Temple author. Um, I know. It's going to become The Thriller Zone soon. I have to have a hundred subscribers before I can change the name. Do me a favor and subscribe because it means a lot to me. Seriously. So until next time, I'm David Temple, your host for The Thriller Zone.